You may have heard me say this before, but I've never really liked the nickname the poor St. Thomas gets, Doubting Thomas. It just doesn't seem fair, and especially when you consider the other things that he says throughout the Gospel of John. I've said over the years that I don't think he should be called Doubting Thomas, but that he should be called Talkative Thomas. Because the thing is, he speaks up in kind of a bold way in a couple of different times in the Gospel when it's like, yeah, I'm glad somebody said that. And I also don't think it's fair that he's doubting Thomas in the fact that, you know, the others are behind locked doors uh, for fear of the Jews, even though at this point in the gospel, Mary Magdalene has already encountered the risen Christ. Peter and John have already seen the empty tomb, and yet they go back, they lock the doors for fear of the Jews, for fear of those who put Jesus to death. And yet, Thomas is not there with them. And so for him to get stuck with the nickname Doubting, I just still to this day don't think it's fair. And if we go back and look at those other times, in fact, we just heard one of those uh, speeches, so to speak, or lines from St. Thomas just a couple weeks ago on the fifth Sunday of Lent when we heard the gospel of the account of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. After Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick and is dying, he spends another couple days where he is before heading back to Bethany to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. And of course, when he says, all right, we're going to go and raise Lazarus, the other disciples say, um, Lord, and of course I'm paraphrasing here, but um, Lord, uh, they were just trying to kill you. Uh, are you sure you want to go right back there by Jerusalem? And he says, we're going to go. And Thomas says, remember, old doubting Thomas here, Thomas says, let us also go to die with him, right? So right away, he's bold. He's not afraid to go back, to go ahead and be in the face of danger as long as he can stay right by Christ, right? So he's going to go at that point. In John chapter 14, in the midst of the Last Supper discourse, when Jesus is giving his, you know, from 13 to 17, uh, the chapters of, of St. John, of his gospel, talking to the apostles at the Last Supper. And Jesus, you know, says, you know, where I am going, you know the way. Everybody stays quiet except Thomas, who says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. We've heard that so many times. It's probably my favorite gospel to have at funerals because Jesus tells us specifically, I am the way and the truth and the life. And it's a line that comes from our Lord prompted by that question, that statement from St. Thomas. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus tells him, I am the way and the truth and the life. So Thomas has this knowledge. He's drawn this out of our Lord that he is the way and the truth and the life. Now fast forward to just after our Lord is put to death on Good Friday. Everybody is afraid and behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. But Thomas is not behind that locked door with them, is he? What does that imply? Well, He's not cowering with fear in the same way that the others are. That he's out there doing something, right? And I will tell you, I've got some new insights on this from a wonderful little book put out by Magnificat called 
the resurrection, experience life in the risen Christ by a French philosopher named Fabrice Hajaj. I hope I'm saying his last name right. It's a wonderful book. This chapter on St. Thomas was fantastic. But he kind of speculates on what is Thomas doing? Now, if he's not behind the locked doors with everybody else, where is he? Well, he has heard that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus who essentially stood up to the authorities, who did not back down, who, you know, no matter what, did not deny who he was to either the chief priests and the council, to Pontius Pilate, to those saying, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Jesus went all the way. He believed in it all the way. So if he is the way and the truth and the life, is Thomas out there? No, boldly saying, fine, if this is the way my master goes, so I go too. You know, and going out there and challenging those who put Jesus to death. Obviously, we're not told that in the scriptures, but by implication, he's not cowering behind a locked door for fear of the Jews. It's like, fine, if you're going to treat my master this way, you can treat me the same way too. Well, obviously, he's not put to death. And as our Lord said in the garden, you know, he was going to protect those whom the Lord has given him. The Jewish authorities, notice, don't come after the apostles. They don't crucify those who are with Jesus at the foot of the cross. St. John, our Blessed Mother, Mary Magdalene. No, even though that was kind of Roman practice. That very often, if one of the accused family members was right there, they'd crucify them too. Our Blessed Mother was very much putting herself in danger. But as we know, she wasn't crucified. We know that our Lord protected those around him from the other authorities. He laid himself down, but protected those around him. There's Thomas in his own brashness, his own boldness, his own talkativeness. He's not going to cower behind the closed doors. With his own boldness, he's going to go out in the world and say, fine, if you're going to take this from me, I'm going out there too. Well, obviously, that doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to him being fulfilled. In fact, it leads him, when only relying on his own, I don't know, perseverance, boldness, his own strength, it leads to him, when told by the other disciples, we have seen the Lord. No, there's no way. I don't believe it. And it's interesting, too. He doesn't just say, I want to see that Jesus is risen. He goes to the very point of, I want to touch I want to touch the wounds. I want to stick my hand into his side. I think sometimes when we hear what comes next, when Thomas is back with the others, notice this time, though, they're behind the closed doors. It doesn't say anything about fear this time. They've seen Jesus behind the doors. Uh, this time, Thomas is with them, a little bit stronger, but they are still behind the doors, just nothing about fear. Once again, on this day, Eight days later, right? Eight or on the on the eighth day, this eighth day, the octave of Easter, Jesus is there with them again. And what does he say once again? Peace be with you. He doesn't like look at Thomas. I think sometimes we read into this as though it's like, haha, Thomas. I don't think that's the case. That he's saying to him, Look, I know you're bold. I know you want to be so strong. But don't put your faith in your boldness, in your, you know, coraggio, and you're going out there and you're putting it all in the faces of everybody else. No. What I want you to do is put your finger here. I want you to see my hands. I want you to see my open side and put your hand right here into the source of mercy and know that that is what will make you strong. That 
is what is stronger than anything else in the world. It's that mercy that will overcome the sin and death out there, the evil that put me to death. The strength is here, not in your boldness to fight against injustice. I get it. It's strong. Way to be so strong, Thomas. But it's not on your strength, but on mine that you will succeed. Put your hand here. And what do we get from talkative Thomas, right? We get one of the most bold declarations of faith in Jesus Christ in the entire gospel. My Lord and my God. Thomas shows us that way to ultimately not rely on ourselves, but on him. On the open side and the love of Christ, right? That ultimately he is there with us. And blessed are are we who have not seen everything that Thomas has seen, and yet we believe. Because ultimately, that is where our salvation is rooted, in the open side of Christ, in that sign, in that tangible, real place of the wound in his open heart, which gives us the strength to continue on in the face of injustice. It's not that we're called to get up and pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and fight against the evil of the world. No. It's from the open heart of the side of Christ, of his outpouring mercy, that we find hope, that we find salvation. And notice what comes at the end of every reading today. It's a reminder about what our ultimate goal is. Salvation. Life in Christ. The way that the first reading ends is all about the fact that every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What does St. Peter say? His closing line. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, yet believe in him, you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And why does St. John even take the time to write about all of this? These are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that through this belief, you may have life in his name. Thomas saw that ultimately Jesus, who really and truly laid down his life for us, really and truly took on the injustice, the sin, the death of this world, really and truly accepted everything that the worldly powers had to throw at him, and he is risen. He has the marks on his body of this is how much I love you. This is how much I want your salvation. This is how much I want you to inherit eternal life. And Thomas, Saul, put his finger at the very source of all of this and saw that that salvation is real. This is no magic trick. This was no mere illusion. This was Jesus Christ, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, God himself, fully human and fully divine, laying down his life for us and really and truly being risen from the dead. Thomas shows us that fact that no, we don't go out there boldly to fight injustice on our own. Rather, we imitate the one who is risen from the dead, the one who opens for us the way to salvation. So I'd say on this day, Let's not continue to call him Doubting Thomas, or even my favorite little nickname for him, Talkative Thomas. Rather, let's give him the ultimate and wonderful title that the church has given us for him. Saint. One who is in heaven, 
who beholds the glory of Christ forever. And let's ask that saint to intercede for us, that we don't cower behind locked doors, that we don't fear what's coming next, that we don't even fall into the trap of relying on our own strength to go out there and fight injustice, to fight anxiety, to fight uncertainty. No, that like St. Thomas, we stay close today and every day to the open heart of our Savior, the open side from which flows that mercy. And today we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday. That mercy, that love, that blood and water that gushes forth from the heart of Jesus to do what? To save us from our sins. To show us that fact that our Lord is victorious. He is risen from the dead. And today, with St. Thomas, may we look to that open heart of our Savior and say with him, my Lord and my God, praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. En las tres lecturas de esta mañana, las líneas finales tienen que ver con la salvación. En la primera lectura de los hechos de los apóstoles termina con, Y el Señor aumentaba cada día el número de los que habían de salvarse. La segunda lectura de la primera carta de San Pedro concluye, concluye diciendo, A Cristo Jesús no lo han visto, sin embargo, lo aman. Al creer en Él ahora, sin verlo, se llenan de una alegría radiante e indescriptible, seguros de alcanzar la salvación de sus almas, que es la meta de la fe. Y finalmente, el Evangelio de hoy termina con el bre breve párrafo. Otros muchos signos hizo Jesús en presencia de sus discípulos, pero no están escritos en este libro. Se escribieron esos para que ustedes crean que Jesús es el Mesías, el Hijo de Dios, y para que, creyendo, tengan vida en su nombre. Hoy es el último día de la octava de Pascua. Es como si los últimos ocho días fueran un largo día para celebrar el misterio central de nuestra fe, a saber que Jesucristo realmente y verdaderamente ha resucitado de entre los muertos. Y como si hoy no fuera una celebración lo suficientemente grande derivada de las revelaciones de Nuestra Señor a Santa Faustina Kowalska, una monja polo, polo, polaca que murió en 1938, celebramos hoy la gran fiesta de la Divina Misericordia después de rezar durante los últimos nueve días la novena y estar más atentos a la siempre y constante misericordia de Nuestro Señor sobre nosotros y del mundo entero, y para decir más y más desde nuestros corazones, Jesús confió en ti. Mis hermanos y hermanas en Cristo, es común y increíble saltar de las páginas de la Sagrada Escritura, presentándose a nosotros a través de la tradición de la iglesia, tanto antigua como nueva, y nos despierta una vez más al hecho de que nuestro Señor hace todo lo posible por nuestro bien. 
como Tomás descubrió cuando sus dedos tocaron las profundidades de las heridas de nuestro Salvador. Esto no fue un truco de mágica. Esto no fue una ilusión. Esto no es, un, no, esto no es una mera imagen. Jesucristo está enamorado de nosotros. Él desea nuestra confianza, nuestro amor y nuestra salvación. Él está dispuesto a ir a las profundidades de la muerte en buscada de cada uno de nosotros. Todo lo que hizo y todo lo que está haciendo es para orientarnos hacia nuestra salvación. La pregunta es, ¿cuál es tu respuesta? ¿Estás dispuesto a aceptar la salvación? ¿Estás dispuesto a seguirlo a donde Él, él te lleva? ¿Estás dispuesto a confiar en Aquel que ha hecho todo esto por ti todos los días? Sabemos que seguirlo no conduce a una vida fácil o libre de preocupaciones o una vida libre de desafíos y contratiempos, y libre de enfermedades y dolores. Pero, si sabemos que confiar en Él, abrazarlo, permanecer cerca de Él, cada día conduce a la salvación y a la vida eterna con Él. Entonces, incluso cuando esa octava de Pascua llega a su fin, recuerden, él desea nuestra salvación y si eliges aceptarla, será un regalo que nunca terminará. Alabado sea Cristo Jesús, hoy y siempre.